April 2nd, 2003, mediocre marketing executive abandons his profession and for reasons known only to himself, decides to become a horror movie podcaster. But podcasts didn't exist then. This young man held tight in an undisclosed cave for several years, reflecting upon his childhood horror favorites, recording all his detailed thoughts in a massive binder. He has now emerged and is ready to talk, except he waited too long, and now the world is saturated with horror podcasts. How will he stack up against the rest? You decide. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to our first ever podcast, our premiere episode. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to see you after, what, 19 years? Well, why, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry I never sent out the search party or anything. Ah, well, I guess I'll let that slide. I was having too much fun in the cave writing down all my horror childhood favorites, which might sound familiar from that promo. But anyway, I do have with me that famous binder. This binder has been with me in the cave since 2003 and ah shit there's a little bit of moss on there stalactite leakage you know stalactites drip it happens some bat dung but it's corona free bat dung that's what matters you know corona and that whole bat thing so anyway this binder features just outstanding notes of all my horror faves Folks, listen, when I was in seventh grade, my friends would ask if I was ready for the dance, if I was ready for this party, that party. I'd ask them if they'd seen Friday the 13th Part 3. When I was in college, dudes would ask if I'd seen the newest Playboy. I'd ask them if they read Fangoria number 117. That should tell you all you need to know about me and my credentials for being the host of this fine program. So for the next half hour, forget all your troubles and just focus on what I'm saying because it's awesome. Right here is all that matters right now. Adrian, I this is my sister, by the way. Oh, well, thanks for finally introducing me. I was wondering <laughs> when that was going to happen. Yeah, well, well, we used to have this band teacher in high school who said something at the start of band. <laughs> what? Band? <laughs> Who? Yeah. Well, at the start of band, he would say that we were supposed to forget all of our troubles during private practice sessions. And he would place his hand on my knee and he'd simulate the tapping rhythm of a metronome. Tap, tap, tap. <laughs> well, that's going to sound great for anyone listening, that banging in their ear. <laughs> well, yeah, you're right, though. You know, folks, we are trying to work our way around the pitfalls of a premiere episode of a brand new podcast. So if there's a little bit of distortion and you know we were supposed to get this started about two hours ago but i realized that my interface wasn't even connected to my computer as we're trying to record this and it was simply the recording was only picking up me and not adrian well i mean i have to say i'm impressed by our equipment here when you told me about this idea i was expecting to see like two skinny wires plugged into a junky laptop (laughs) but you've got these two big microphones pro headsets and that big red box Like, there's more equipment here than desk space. Yeah, well, you know, speaking of that, I was so confused when trying to figure out what the hell kind of podcast equipment to buy. I mean, I'm looking at Best Buy, I'm looking at Staples, and there's no, when it comes to podcast stuff, there's no recognizable name brand, at least that I can recognize, that I could go with and feel comfortable using. Like, you know, Sony, JVC, Bose, Sharp. Where's all those brands that have been around for ages? Everything is like this weird stuff, like, Blue Yeti or newer or road hard, neat, silverback. What, you know, what is this shit? 
did somebody sneak these fake names onto a list and just like have me go track these down? Well, you've got some Sony's here headphones. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, I, I try not to skimp on the equipment. Uh, the laptop, as you can see, is kind of uh, a piece of shit. Not a piece of shit. It just struggles to do anything, even open a Word document. But surprisingly, it's handling audio processing. So uh, anyway, well, let's get started. Uh, my all-time favorite horror movie is Nightmare on Elm Street, which also happens to be the first movie that made me shit my pants when I first saw it. Adrian wasn't even born yet when it was made. She only got to experience one brief year of the prolific 80s horror movie heyday, 1989. Strangely, she has no memory of that. It was a notable, albeit sad, year for horror as by 1990, it felt like the world slammed shut on quality horror movies and just moved on. Yeah, so I'm not a fan of horror movies and all, and I don't really watch them, but I've been around people who do. I, like, I've, I've seen many just from being at Ben's house and watching whatever he's watching, so, so I'm okay, but majority of... Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street did for me something that no movie ever did. By the age of 12 or 13, I was fully obsessed with horror. But the caveat was my parents, well, our parents, I should say. And this isn't something that you would even give a shit about, Adrian. Not you, audience, but Adrian. You would just want to watch your damn Disney movies. But our parents were dead set against me watching anything horror-related, let alone an R-rated movie. So I gleaned all I could from my friends recanting all of their horror viewings, and I lived vicariously through that. I, I had some kind of weird fascination with Freddy, and that's when my friends knew I had some kind of Asperger's or something. I'd always badger them to talk about the movie. And, uh, you know, listen, I was obsessed with finding the VHS case in the video store horror section just because that was the only way I could get any connection to the movie. I mean, seriously, any chance I had to go in a video store just to look at the case itself, no matter how many times I would do it, I would always take that opportunity. How fucked in the head is that? <laughs> I mean, the, the you know, just seeing the picture of Heather Langenkamp laying in bed with the finger knives extended over her head. And, um, you know, how about part two? Oh, where you can actually see Freddie's face imposed against <laughs> the side of the house, sticking his knives around the house. And, you know, that was before I knew part two was shit. But... The unknown was part of the romance, you know, not getting to see these movies. You wouldn't know how bad some of them actually were, you know, in regard to part two. Um, there was there was some brilliant cover art back then also. And when you think about it, getting back to part two again, actually, that's the only shot where you can get a clear view of Freddy anywhere. I mean, certainly not even in the movies themselves in regard to the first couple. He's in the shadows usually and he's presented in minimal light with minimal screen time. And um, the third, I guess you get to see him a little bit more, but you know, at that point, this was prior to 87. So three wasn't even, you know, on my peak insanity of trying to see horror yet. And it wasn't just Nightmare on Elm Street series. It was all horror movies. This just happened to be my favorite. So there was no online back then, no options. And I certainly wasn't going to read the book, but I read the box. Okay, so if you couldn't watch it, then how the hell did you see it? Oh, wait, the pirate wires. You ran from the VCR downstairs to the TV in your room upstairs. <laughs> well, the, the pirate wires, that's that's actually a good guess. But no, for this particular one, um, first off, regarding the pirate wires, I was so hard up on seeing you know horror movies. The only VCR in the house was on the main level in the living room. 
So I ran speaker wires from where the VCR terminals met the TV and threaded the wire up around the wooden supports on the wall in the open ceiling of the house and eventually across all that stuff to my room upstairs. And that, you know what? Nobody knows what I'm talking about here. This, uh, the house was sort of like a Cape Cod, if you will. Um, but one side of the ceiling was wide open with some decorative beams and stuff. And then the other half of the upstairs was my room. Um, you know, you remember I used to toss the cat from the upstairs <laughs> onto the furniture in the living room below. And I could usually aim well enough so that the couch would break as fall. But, um, so anyway, you couldn't really see the wires because I made sure they were well integrated with the beams and I would, I would, um, sneak downstairs, pop the tape that I secretly rented into the VCR, you know, well after everybody's gone to bed, hit play on the VCR, run upstairs as quiet as I could, race the video signal up there to at least be quick enough to get up there before the coming attractions played. That was my big excitement. Almost like being in a movie theater and not wanting to miss the attractions. So if you're younger and you're thinking, fuck that, wouldn't it just be easier to smuggle a VCR into your room? You know, people forget this, but back in the mid eighties, if you know, you, you wouldn't know this, but these things cost like four or $500 back then for a decent one. You know, that's no bullshit. Um, I mean, now it's like, if you happen to have an old one in your attic, your basement, you can't like, get rid of it soon enough. I wonder you aren't chief engineer at Lawrence Berkeley by now. <laughs> because of you, my wire trick? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I bet you remember the first movie you ever watched like that. You bet your ass I do. Fright Night. <laughs> Fright Night. Yeah. That was a pretty handsome vampire in that. Oh, you remember that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Chris Sarandon. He was, wasn't he? Uh, I thought the prostitute was pretty cute. <laughs> Not the one with the dark hair where the kid's looking out of his window with the binoculars and he sees her boobs. I'm talking about the one who arrives in a taxi with the blonde hair. So anyway, Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't trying to, you know, fill its movie with eye candy, by the way. And I thought that was brilliant. You know, Heather Langenkamp, she was okay looking, but nothing special. And she only other had, there was only one other girl in the movie really featured one of her other girlfriends who gets killed off pretty early, by the way. And um, Heather's delivery is kind of strange. I actually mistook her for a valley girl because, oh, everything she was saying is like that. But she had some great lines, though, in the movie. So she's she's on that, like, no-do stuff. And by the sixth day of staying awake, she looks in the mirror. She's like, oh, I look like I'm 20. <laughs> Meanwhile, she's 15 years old. There was some silly lines, too. You remember? You remember watching it, and she's... Her parents have her at the station and, you know, they're like, how do you, what, what do you mean? You don't take murder seriously. And she's like, oh, how can you say I don't take murder seriously? <laughs> anyway, see, this is great. I can point out all the things that I always wished I, I could have seen mentioned by the critics all these years. Now I can do it myself. Anyway, she's like from Illinois or something. So she obviously can't be a Valley girl unless that was a lightning fast study when she moved out there to do her career. Okay, well, uh, so getting back to how did you see the movie, things got a little off track there. I guess just a little bit, yeah. I was at a good friend's house with uh, one of our mom's friend's kids, Mark, and one night I got to stay over at his house. So his mom was a MILF, and she was cool as shit, too, and she let Mark watch whatever he wanted, and she assumed that's how it worked for me. Little did she know how pissed mom would be if she knew that I had watched that. 
So Mark had seen every movie in the horror section, and he knew I was a horror-starved son of a bitch, and he knew he was doing me a big favor when his mom gave the green light for us to watch whatever he wanted that night. I'll never forget it, though. He asked me what I wanted to rent. I couldn't believe it. And this was the nicest thing anybody has ever done for me, by the way. Seriously. Imagine walking down those long corridors of endless horror films, the hockey masks all lined up in one series, the Halloween series, Jack Lantern faces looking back at me, The Shining. Wow. <laughs> I call him up now and I, I still say, remember back in 88 when we went to the video store? <laughs> no, just kidding. I don't call him. I make a note of it, though, when I send him Christmas cards. You know, he's a missionary now. Oh. Yeah, he was in El Salvador for 10 years. Crazy. <laughs> so anyway, we figure out and know what we are watching that night, but we have to go back and bring his mom to the store because she had the money and the store account. She didn't want to wait for us, you know, while we dicked around and picked out a movie. And her house was literally a two-minute two walk from the store. So talk about luxury, from my standpoint anyway. Talk about on-demand. <laughs> that was as close as you could get to it back then, living just a few footstep walk from the video store. So we go back and get her. Kathy was her name. And um, it's funny because my memory of this image, you know, it, it feels like she was towering above Mark and I. But the reality was that she was, I don't know, maybe about five foot seven. And, you know, at 13, 14 years old, we probably weren't that much shorter than her. Maybe mm -hmm. an inch or two, if that. But, you know, that just illustrates the sense of authority that an adult in that position had as an effect on me. Maybe not so much other kids. You know, other kids don't give a shit about adults and treat them like <laughs> dirt these days. But what, what was pretty funny also, I should mention this, is that when we were checking out of the cash register... Kathy asks the clerk who's bringing us up if he had seen the movie just to get his opinion on it. That's just the kind of person she was. He would just like, you know, always be like talking to people. And the guy responds. He did this voice cracking response of me as <laughs> if to say, you really think I'm brave enough to watch this? The way he said that me, his voice cracks so perfectly. And to this day, you might even recognize it. I occasionally try to t channel him when I'm mm -hmm. responding to people in a mock surprise. I wish I could do it as high-pitched as him, but unfortunately, <laughs> my voice is pretty deep. So after he says the me, he gives us a shameful response that he could only watch the first 15 minutes and had to shut it off. <laughs> so Kathy and Mark and I later concluded that his estimation of 15 minutes into the movie would have landed at right around the point. Do you remember where Tina gets lifted off the bed while being slashed mm -hmm. by an invisible killer and used like a bloody paintbrush to decorate the walls and ceiling all red? Right. So, yeah, the store clerk was, um, you know, he's probably like 25. He wasn't even a teenager yet, though he sounded like one. But apparently, this guy, we all thought it was pretty funny that that guy couldn't get past that part. <laughs> Okay, so you saw it at Mark's house, and apparently it was everything you had ever dreamed it would be. It was all that and more. I just cannot believe what I was watching. And little did I know, it would prove to be life-changing. You know, I was just talking about this in between takes. I, I thought, um, I, you know, I literally had to turn away from the screen. I was hoping that Mark wouldn't see this. It was the first real horror movie. That I had ever seen, and it it really got the best of me. I'd seen other stuff on TV, but they were edited for television type stuff, and it was nowhere near hardcore type of things. You know, maybe like Dracula, nineteen seventy nine. Somehow, it occurred to me 
um, that in my teen years, I thought about this movie day, you know, day after day. And I thought about it every day for like probably a year mm-hmm. after I saw it. You know, I'd wake up in the morning and I would wait until I got in the bus. You remember we had that hour ride to school. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here's the scenario. Every morning I would replay it. And the whole thing in my mind, like it was a, a movie reel. And I would just be dumbfounded by it. I didn't care like what was going on around me. Like, you know, the bus could have been like driving off a cliff for all I knew. But I was just like visually playing that movie scene for scene in my head. It might have made me certifiable. You know, that can't be normal. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I was so quiet. I just couldn't be bothered by anyone. I I didn't care about talking to anyone. And I just wanted to be left alone with my thoughts at that point. You know, dad called me Walter Mitty. (laughs) But I wasn't, you know, I wasn't bothered by my obsession with it. You might be thinking maybe the, the watching it and being unprepared for such a shocking movie messed me up and put me in the state of schizophrenia. No, it just made a big impression on me. But there were many nights where I couldn't sleep, though. There was one in particular. I was just laying in bed and every creak in the house. You remember those stairs used to, to creak on their own a little bit? Mm-hmm. You know, I was this close to getting out of bed and telling them how freaked out I was. I didn't know what to do. By them, I'm assuming you mean mom and dad. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but so anyway, you know, that's, that's, you know, gives you some idea of the effect it had on me. But you might be wondering, like, what some of those scenes were that I thought was the most ghastly. Mm-hmm. You know, we can, we can make a game of this, actually. I'll name a few scenes, and then you try and figure out which one was the one that really got me. Okay. So early in the beginning when Freddy's, you know, showing Tina how he slashes his finger off and blood spurts out, that was a a pretty sick one. Uh, The other one I mentioned also, Tina getting flung around the room and slashed at the same time. Johnny Depp and the geyser of blood. Probably the most talked about slash of the movie, you know, where it comes up out of the bed. Mm-hmm. And um, Nancy tries to push Freddie away at one point when he's got her on the ground and she like puts her hand on his face and his whole face comes off in the process. <laughs> that was pretty sick. And then Nancy hears Tina calling her and looks over just to see a, a pile of snakes. Let's see. Was there something else I was thinking about? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So Nancy hears Tina while she's in class one day, looks sideways only to see Tina being pulled away by something invisible and her body bag leaves a bloody smear on the hallway. So I named off about six different scenes in the movie. Which one do you think was the one that gave me the most uh, sleepless nights? Um, I'm going to go with Tina gets flung around the room. The same one that scared the, uh, the store clerk. <laughs> yeah, that's the one where the guy couldn't get past <laughs> it. That was pretty terrifying. I would say that was a close number to it. It wasn't. The biggest, I'm, I'm going to say this only because I remember specifically I had to look away from the screen, but it was where Nancy's on the ground trying to push Freddie away and just what his face looked like below the burned skin. Like it was like oh, a right. skeleton and his eyes are bulging out of his head. That was actually my first choice, to be honest. Oh, shit. You blew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what a brilliant movie, though. Um, the ending seems open to interpretation. You know, a lot of people talk about this, uh, you know, one, one thought being that Nancy pulled Freddie into reality. And that was why from that point on the movie and the sequels, you couldn't really distinguish the dreamscape from reality. 
Um, you know, the ending, you're kind of confused as to what's going on. Everyone's alive. Things are great. Everything's bright. Mom's there. And then they're all getting into the car. But it's the total opposite. Uh, you know, the other thought was that she never did pull him into reality. And she never woke up. So that would mean from the point she falls asleep and plans to bring him out. You know, she sets up those booby traps and stuff. It's all a dream. And then she ultimately dies at the end of the movie in the Freddy car. Mm-hmm. That happened to be my favorite but then when part three Dream Warriors came out, that torpedoed the storyline because, of course, Nancy's back in there. And really, it was a pretty pointless, worthless performance. And it was a so-so movie, I thought. I know everybody loves part three. I have no clue why. But it's not terrible. I'm just kind of bored with it. And, you know, there was this cool skeleton fight at the end, you know. <laughs> and that's, that's where we lose serious Freddy. Part one and part two was serious, Freddy, but by, by part three, he gets those real wise cracks in, you know, welcome the primetime bitch, <laughs> and he has to be a comedian. But, I see. Yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, if, if you take the original by itself and examine the ending, you could theorize that by the time Nancy was setting up the booby traps and stuff to kill Freddy, she was already dead pretty much, mm-hmm. you know, or soon to be. Right. At best, she was still dreaming. But she never pulled Freddy out in the, into out of the dream, into reality. That was a dream itself. Okay. So, oh, and there is one other I just remembered and kind of, I kind of like it, but I kind of don't. And that's where you can see Nancy and her mom come out of the doorway in the bright daylight. And again, you see Nancy get in the car. So the thought here is it was demonstrating the mom's last dream as we clearly saw her get suffocated by Freddy. So it's kind of just like they they just threw this part in there um, just to show what the mom went through after all the other stuff was all done. And mm-hmm. that's the last thing you see because it's from her viewpoint. It's like no longer Nancy's viewpoint. As she's watching Nancy with her friends, Nancy gets trapped in the car and she's not really the focus of this scene. So I kind of like it because it's one of those explanations that isn't obvious until you really think about it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, Wes Craven was forced to go with this ending, you know, according to um, something on Netflix I just recently watched, and mm-hmm. apparently he hated it. Part of the reason was because the mom looked like a, a rubber doll being pulled through that <laughs> window, if you remember the end of it. <laughs> and uh, that just wasn't, you know, the look he had in mind. And frankly, I don't blame him. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so if anyone ever listens to our podcast, <laughs> you you may have noticed that we didn't really review the movie, at least not the way a lot of podcasts would. We briefly examined pieces of it. But here's the thing. I mean, who the hell really wants to hear another review of Nightmare on Elm Street? You know, who in their right mind is looking for just another podcast that regurgitates the same play-by-play of the movie <laughs> and inserts their interpretation? Black, you you wouldn't, you know, you'd blow your brains out to hear another one. So, you know, it's... It's it's kind of like, would you even want to know somebody who has scoured the web to hear a hundred different reviews of the same movie? I mean, come to think of it, would you really want to know anybody who has watched every Nightmare on Elm Street, every Halloween, every mm-hmm. Friday the 13th, and a litany of other 80s films mm-hmm. like me? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I had a college professor. It was... Um, Oh, what kind of class? It was like a rhetorics class. And and he asked that question. I didn't even know what made him bring this up. That's like the only thing I remember from the course. And I'm just like sitting there laughing because, of <laughs> course, by then I had watched all those movies. But, 
But anyway, I think so. My take on it, I just think it's interesting to hear how the movie affected somebody personally. And, you know, it won't be my standard formula every week, but the idea, you know, here it is, is that we're grouping horror movies into two different categories. There are the ones that everybody knows, like this one we're just talking about. And then there's more obscure shit or lesser known stuff that will go, you know, some kind of a loose play-by-play review. Um, anything like this one or the other big three, by that I mean Halloween, Friday the 13th, you don't really need a review. You know, if we're being honest, they didn't need a bag then either. You know, just one review was enough. That tells you the whole movie right there. You know, give me a good Janet Naslin or a good Siskel and Ebert review. You know, that's all we're really talking about. And, you know, Ebert, he actually liked the movie. And rightfully so. Um, but this is common and it's well-known horror stuff. And it's, for me, it's like I'm all about the connection to the movie that myself or maybe somebody else, even you, Adrian, might have had with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, you know, the review part, I think, for, you know, for the most part, can be minimal. For ones maybe that are like really a little bit more obscure, New Year's Evil, maybe the Sentinel basket case, it's alive. Maybe review a little bit more of those and some ancillary stuff too, but you know, that's it in a nutshell. Oh, and we'll probably be talking about some random bullshit at the end. Maybe you want to listen to that. Maybe not. Speaking of random bullshit, you know, there's one of these this these Charmin bears. There's some commercials <laughs> I can watch and some like I get triggered for some <laughs> reason. And it can be just the way somebody says something, or it can be like something on the screen that annoys me. These Charmin commercials. One was just on earlier before you came over. Uh-huh. You know what I'm talking about? These those amulet bears for the Charmin commercials. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So do you know how they're always like trying to shove their asses in your face? Mm-hmm. Like they they get off the toilet and they want you to see how there's like no <laughs> toilet paper stuck. Did you ever think about that and realize like what they're actually saying? <laughs> That's here? Uh, some great advertising, you know. <laughs> I mean, they're really showing you that there's there's no pieces of shit with toilet paper stuck to their ass like that's what they're trying to convey and that's what the toilet paper is all about yeah i mean for someone who washes their hands every 20 minutes i'm sure it does bother you well yeah i mean but even for somebody who's yeah that's one thing too i'm a little bit ocd i'm sure people will pick up on that in subsequent broadcasts but these bears i mean they just like Annoy, and this has been a long running commercial. I think I remember this back to the 90s, maybe even before that. Well, it's been that successful, I guess. Uh, <laughs> people oh, yeah, keep I mean, buying the toilet paper. See, that's that's my fault for even bringing it up and like you know, even <laughs> giving them some airtime here. People will be seeking them out now on my show. Yeah, <laughs> boy, I should have known better than to bring that up. <laughs> oh man, what else? Oh, you know what I was watching after work on Friday? Uh, what was that? Death Wish 3. Do you remember that one? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) So Adrian loves this movie. I remember (laughs) when you first moved down to Philadelphia, you had an experience one day where some asshole broke into your car. Oh, yeah, that's right. It was was right after a date, too. (laughs) And the date wasn't even that great either to add insult to injury. (laughs) That's Um, not fun. So I think you wanted me to see some real vigilante justice in action to yes. make me feel better. <laughs> yeah, you were pretty mopey the next day, and rightfully so. I mean, you know, granted, you probably shouldn't have left your 
uh, laptop and eyesight, you know, yeah, and backseat. Yeah, that was my but... intro to Philly, I guess. Yeah, so somebody <laughs> broke into your car and stole mm-hmm. it, and then you got stuck uh, with some dude you just met that night, right? Yeah, yeah, he was weird, but he <laughs> gave me, like, milk and donuts to make me feel better, which was nice. But yeah, still overall, not a great experience. <laughs> I remember you calling me like at two o'clock in the morning, freaking <laughs> out because you would literally just moved there. I'm like, oh shit, this can't be good. <laughs> yeah, Where I was is like, she? I got to get out of here. <laughs> I got to get out of Dodge. <laughs> I'm like, should I come and get you? It's like, what? You're like, ah, oh, this guy seems nice. Let's stay with him. I'm like, huh? My kid's sister is staying with some dude after a car got broken into. But yeah. yep. So that was a first and last date. Yeah. Not to do with the the break in. That was its own trial. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy scenario. But anyway, after that, I wanted her to see some like real good vigilante (laughs) revenge justice. So I showed her. What better movie? (laughs) Death Wish 3. The body count's pretty high in that movie. And it is fun to watch. It's just, it's one of those movies people say it's so bad it's good. But I would argue that it is from a technical standpoint pretty good the editing is really good there's some pretty good actors in there i mean Mm -hmm. charles bronson he was always good when he wanted to be ed lauer the police chief who's kind Uh of an asshole but then they buddy up at the end right a couple other uh minor actors in there and some really good lines too what's the one where he's like hitting the guy with the nail in the board how does that go again Oh, yeah. He's like kind of setting up that springboard with the knife on the end of it. (laughs) And so that when somebody broke into somebody's house, the board would flip up and smack him in the head so hard. uh, The knife would stick into their skull and teeth would be on the board. (laughs) He comes. Yeah. He goes back to the homeowner's house. The guy is like, what's on the board? Bronson's like, it's teeth. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't there like another one where it was like, you're the sticker and I'm the sticker? Yeah, you know, I totally <laughs> forgot about that also, you know, when I um, when I was watching it. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a great line. With a bad guy, they released him from prison, the guy with reverse mohawk. He comes back. Some other guy, I guess, had like taken his place, but he wasn't happy with that guy. Mm-hmm. And the guy knew like he was in trouble. And he sees like this, this dude with reverse mohawk <laughs> comes up to him, gives him a look. It's like, hey, 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 man, I'm just I'm just watching your territory for you. <laughs> Flick out comes a switchblade. You know what this is? This is a sticker. You're the sticky. <laughs> now's the end of that guy. Yeah. I mean, I was pretty much over um, my robbery at that point. See that a little death wish? Your favorite part was at the end, though, like when they're just sitting around like him and the police chief <laughs> and who pops into the room like, you know, with a gun and a bulletproof jacket. And he's like, yeah, I'm not dead. I got a bulletproof jacket just like yours. Now guns pointed at your head. What are you going to do now? (laughs) And there just happens to be a rocket launcher propped up against the wall, (laughs) which is fully loaded and activated. And what does Bronson do? Just like eh, shrugs his shoulders, picks it up, aims at the guy, and boom, the guy is propelled through a brick wall, (laughs) 10 stories up in the air. (laughs) Well, there you go. There's a... A bonus recap for (laughs) the first run of the podcast. There you go. You get a mini review also of Death Wish 3 (laughs) and um, another connection. So what more could you want? So anyway, I guess that's, that's it for our first broadcast. We hope there's many more. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Not Your Average Horror Show. Remember, defend your addictions. Legal ones, that is. And leave a comment for us if you wish. 
over. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Not Your Average Horror Show. As always, today's episode was brought to you by a big endowment from the Alliance to Fight the Perception that Introverts are Stuck-Up Assholes. 